Tonight we're continuing our series, Practice Makes Perfect. Uh, We've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount. We will for a couple more weeks. It's found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapters 5 through 7. Just a reminder, we encourage you to read it every day, uh, to be mindful of reading it as a whole and taking it as a whole. Today we move into chapter 6 of uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, And and I just want to remind you as we keep going through it that the whole sermon is is Jesus painting a picture for us of what the kingdom of God looks like, different from the kingdom of the world. He's speaking to uh, those who will listen and hear as he is to us, reminding us to be who we are, to remember who we are, that we are God's beloved children, and what it means for us to live as heirs of God's kingdom, even though we live in the kingdom of God of the world. Jesus is helping us understand that the kingdom of God is here in Christ, and yet it's not fully here yet. Uh, But as we live into who we are as God's beloved children, we help make the kingdom of God a reality more and more uh, until Christ comes again and it it is made complete forever. And so Jesus is helping us understand that that we're called to live differently than the world around us. We're called to live as those who are beloved by God, children of God. And yet we're called to live within this space of the kingdom of the world. This weekend we're talking about practicing hidden faith. And practicing hidden faith isn't really about hiding your faith, right? It's, It's really actually about letting your light shine. But it's about being attentive to and intentional about your motivation for how you live out your faith and for why you live out your faith. If I asked you why you come to worship every week, I wonder what you would say. Or if I asked you why you pray or why you give or why you engage in any kind of spiritual discipline, I wonder what you would really say. Practicing hidden faith is what we're talking about tonight. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable to you, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. As I look back on my life, I know that as a child, I went to church because I didn't have a choice, right? My parents made me go to church. As a youth, I went primarily for friends and and fun and fellowship and because my parents still made me go to church. As a young adult, I went to meet other young adults. As a single person, I went to meet other singles. Uh, when When I look back at my journey of faith and even my prayer life, growing up I thought that there was probably one way to pray and that I wanted to know the right way to pray. And, and usually that was about getting God to do what I wanted God to do. When I think about giving and, and our, our history of giving growing up, I gave because I thought I was supposed to. And, and I gave primarily with the motivation that giving was going to get me something, right? All, all of those things that kind of helped define who I was growing up in the church. My primary motivation for doing those things was an external reward, either the approval of my parents or gold stars on my attendance chart in Sunday school or um, the the affirmation of of the pastor and of of the teachers. There was a sense of of doing the right thing, um, 
so that I could be in, right? Often, though, that motivation was, was really out of guilt and, and fear. It was about a transaction. If I do this, God will give me something else. Or if I don't do this, will there be a consequence to my not doing this? If I don't go to church, what really is going to happen? Or if I don't pray, will God ever listen? Or if I don't give, is God going to take something away? My, my motivations were primarily about the external reward. Now, that wasn't my only motivation. I mean, I loved Jesus and all, right? Like, there was real, there was real stuff there. But when I look at why I did what I did related to my faith growing up, it was often about the external reward. It was often about what God would do for me. Now, I, I firmly believe that God was at work in my life through all of that, and in all those stages, and through all of those different layers of, of motivation. But over time, I began to realize that what God wants from me is not perfect attendance, or the right prayer, or a certain amount of time or money. What God wants from me is me. What God wants from me and for me is a willingness to be in an authentic relationship with God. Our faith isn't so much transactional as it is transformational. Our faith really is not about a transaction. It's about transformation. My relationship with God isn't based on external affirmation, but on internal acceptance. It's not about what I can get, but about what I've already received. It's not about what I can get by doing certain things, but about what I've already received by being a child of God. Transformation happens on the inside, but the fruit of transformation becomes visible on the outside. Transformation happens on the inside, but the fruit of transformation is helping a teacher set up a classroom or driving slow in the school zone or making a friend. That's the fruit of what's happening on the inside, letting the light of Christ shine in us. The, the Jewish people who would have been hearing, uh, most of the people hearing the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus preached it, would have heard both the truth of their actions and their motivations, as well as the invitation that Jesus issued for transformation. This is Matthew chapter 6. Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them, for then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So whenever you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be praised by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your alms may be done in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And whenever you pray, do not pray like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. 
where they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And whenever you fast, do not look dismal like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so as to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you fast... Put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting may be seen not by others, but by your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. In this text, Jesus is offering uh, both a, a warning and an invitation Almsgiving and praying and fasting would have been um, three of the, the main duties or responsibilities or obligations of a good Jewish faithful person. That would have been integral to what they would have understood about living a good life, about doing the right thing. Almsgiving and, and praying and fasting. And, and Jesus gives them this word of warning and instruction, not about the acts themselves, but about the how and the why of what they are doing. The assumption is they're already doing them, right? When you do these things. It's not a matter of if they're going to do these things. It is when they do these things. When you do these things, don't do them like the hypocrites. Now, we tend to assign kind of a negative, uh, a, a moral or immoral value to the word hypocrite. We experience that as people who say one thing and do another, who are fake, who are dishonest. And there's truth in that. But the original, in the original Greek language, that word simply means play actor. It is someone pretending to be someone else, but not in a malicious kind of way, not with an intent of deceiving someone else. But it is uh, someone who is on stage for all to see. Someone who does things in order for uh, others to see and applaud and approve of what they're doing. And Jesus says, all of these things, don't do them like the hypocrites. Don't do them like someone pretending to really care about what they're doing. Don't, so in other words, don't sound the trumpet when you're giving alms. Do it in secret. Don't pray aloud out on the street corners or with lots of words for others to see. Do it in secret. When you fast, don't make it look like you're having a horrible, no good, very bad day because you're hungry. Do it in secret. Also that you are rewarded by God who sees in secret. Jesus doesn't discount the value or the importance of these spiritual disciplines, but he goes right to the root of them. He goes right to the motive of why we're doing them. We can't do these things in order to get something from them, but because we've already received what we need. Our faith isn't transactional. It is a gift of being loved, of being chosen, of being blessed, so that the transformation occurs 
and we become more and more like Jesus. We become more uh, restored into the image in which we were created. We become uh, being made perfect in love. Be made perfect as your Father is perfect. These spiritual disciplines in which we engage are not about what we get from other people. It's not about being seen or being heard. It's about the transformation that takes place inside of us to make us more like Jesus, to make us look more like what the kingdom of God will look like. These spiritual disciplines come out of a place of being accepted and seen by God, not as a way to be seen and accepted by others. So with each of those things, Jesus warns them, don't do it like the hypocrites are doing it. This is how you are to do it. When you do these things, don't pretend. Don't do them to be seen by others. Do them in ways that are about your relationship with God, which is forged in the secret places. I love Psalm 51, 6. It says uh, about God, you desire truth in the inward being. Therefore, teach me wisdom in my secret heart. The reward that we receive in secret is relationship with God. The reward that we receive is the fullness and the freedom of a relationship that is authentic and genuine. Not for public display, not for show, but for the glory of God. Practicing hidden faith, however, doesn't mean that we hide from the world or that we don't do these things. It's, practicing hidden faith isn't uh, an excuse not to give and not to pray and not to fast and not to engage in other spiritual disciplines. It's not an excuse for not living out your faith in public, but it really is the power behind the verses that Liz read for us. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. If you're not reading the Sermon on the Mount as a whole, you might think that this verse in Matthew 5 and Jesus' instructions in Matthew 6 are contradictions, but they're really not. The reward of engaging in these spiritual practices in secret for for God to see, for God to know, is that it powers us, it empowers us to live this out. To let our words and our thoughts and our actions reflect the light of Christ that shines in us. That's not about us. It's so that others will see that and give glory to God. So when we help someone with a classroom or we drive slow or we make a new friend, it's, it's not about them seeing us and giving us applause or praise. It's about them seeing the light of Christ in us and giving glory to God. They are witnessing the fruit of the transformation that takes place within us. When we practice a hidden faith, We reflect the authenticity of a real relationship with God where we're not worried about checking boxes. We're not worried about the right people seeing us. We're not seeking approval or admiration of others because we're secure in Christ. And when we live out of that security, what others see in us moves them to give glory to God. It's not easy in our culture to do this because our culture is um, pretty much obsessed with image. 
and, and with public face and with how you present yourself to the world. Uh, the, our image and our outward appearance needing to be a certain way is reinforced by what we see on TV and in the movies and on, in magazines that will tell us what's popular, will tell us what will make us better than we are, tell us what will fix us or whatever it is that we struggle with. And then on social media like Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, all of the posts on there really just fuel the competition that trap us in this place of, of comparing ourselves to other people. The problem with that, it, among other things, is that when we post something on Facebook or Pinterest or Twitter, we're going to post the best of what we are and what we do. We're not going to post the worst. And what we're doing when we're looking at other people's posts, other people's information, is we're seeing their best and comparing that with how we feel on the inside. We're seeing what they post and and believing that that somehow that encompasses their whole life and comparing that to the struggles that we have day in and day out that don't match that. Right? We uh, went on vacation a couple of, uh, back in July, went to North Carolina, and one of the things that I had wanted to do was involved uh, sitting by a, a river. Um, actually, it was um, at, a, at a winery. The kids could play in the stream. It wasn't really a river. It was a stream. And we could sit just on the side of the, the stream and enjoy just being outside and, and being together. And um, so we planned for that all week, and then the day of, none of it happened like I had envisioned it happening, right? I had this image from Facebook about what that was going to look like, and what it ended up being was a a bottle of water for about five minutes while the kids played in a little creek at a park until the rain came, and and then we left. And so I sent a a, a post to a a friend or a text to a friend that said, um, you know, Facebook fail, right? Like this ultimate fail of what I thought it was going to be to the point that I almost missed what it was, when, when we compare ourselves to what other people put out there, so often we miss the joy of the actual moment for us. We live in a culture that, that makes us think we're connected to one another, but really we're just connected to the exterior parts of us. So what we put out there as outward appearance, what we miss is what's really going on for one another. And so what we put out there tends to build up a barrier for us that makes it hard for us, even in our relationship with God, where we should feel the most secure, but we feel the least secure because of what we see in others. And barriers between us and other people, because all we're all putting out there is the best. Jesus says, do these things so that What's happening is that you're engaged in authentic relationship with God who sees you and knows you and loves you and accepts you and longs to make you more like Jesus. Don't do them for show. Do them for for that transformation of your heart and of your life. Jesus says your faith can't be like Facebook. Well, he didn't say that, but I imagine he would, right? (laughs) Your faith can't be like Twitter. Your faith can't be like Pinterest. Your faith has to be deep.
deeper and more real and more authentic than that. An authentic relationship with God cannot be motivated by external reward of someone else's approval or affirmation or adoration. We have to be more concerned about growing in the image of God than guarding our own image. And that starts in the hidden places. That starts in the secret places. That that starts deep within us and finding out who we are in Christ and living from that place. You know, it's interesting, in our media, in our culture, we'll do anything, right? We'll, we'll try a pill, we'll try a new exercise program, we'll, we'll buy the latest and greatest gadget if it promises to save us time or to make our life easier or to make us better. We don't hesitate to do any of those things that are transactional, right? We're promised that it's going to help us, it's going to make us better, it's going to solve all of our problems, The problem is that it never lasts. And and it always requires a different transaction later. We'll do all of those things, but we're reluctant to do what Jesus asks us to do. And what Jesus promises us is the transformation that we long for. But too often we settle for a transaction. Jesus wants transformation for us, and we'll settle for a transaction because it seems easier. But it doesn't last. The reward that lasts is the transformation that comes from that authentic relationship with God, which then invites and allows authentic relationships with others, which then begins to look more and more like the kingdom of God in our midst. I love how Eugene Peterson translates this passage. Be especially careful when you are trying to be good so that you don't make a performance out of it. It might be good theater, but the God who made you won't be applauding. When you do something for someone else, don't call attention to yourself. You've seen them in action, I'm sure, play actors, I call them, treating prayer meeting and street corner alike as a stage, acting compassionate as long as someone is watching, playing to the crowds. They get applause, true, but that's all they get. When you help someone out, don't think about how it looks. Just do it, quietly and unobtrusively. That is the way your God, who conceived you in love, working behind the scenes, helps you out. And when you come before God, don't turn that into a theatrical production either. All these people making a regular show out of their prayers, hoping for stardom. Do you think God sits in a box seat? Here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God, and you will begin to sense his grace. The world is full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant. They're full of formulas and programs and advice, peddling techniques for getting what you want from God. Don't fall for that nonsense. This is your father you are dealing with, and he knows better than you what you need. With a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply like this. Our Father in heaven, reveal who you are. Set the world right. Do what's best as above, so below. Keep us alive with three square meals. Keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. 
Keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. You're in charge. You can do anything you want. You're ablaze in beauty. Yes, yes, yes. In prayer, there is a connection between what God does and what you do. You can't get forgiveness from God, for instance, without also forgiving others. If you refuse to do your part, you cut yourself off from God's part. When you practice some appetite-denying discipline to better concentrate on God, don't make a production out of it. It might turn you into a small-time celebrity, but it won't make you a saint. If you go into training inwardly, act normal outwardly. Shampoo and comb your hair, brush your teeth, wash your face. God doesn't require attention-getting devices. He won't overlook what you're doing. He'll reward you well. God doesn't require attention-getting devices. He won't overlook what you're doing. He'll reward you well. The reward of a relationship with God, an authentic, life-giving relationship with God, is the gift of practicing hidden faith. And practicing hidden faith then allows us to let Christ's light shine through us in an authentic and genuine way. So that as we live as ones who are beloved children of God, the world begins to look more like the kingdom of God in our midst. Let us pray. Loving God, it's hard for us in this world in which we live to not pay attention to image and to what other people are doing and uh, to what the world says is, is good and right. And yet we know deep in our soul that what is most good and most right is our relationship with you. What is most good and what is most right is what you think of us. What is most good and most right is knowing that we are your beloved children, that that's our place of security, that's our place of rest, that's our whole identity. We pray that as we live in the midst of this broken world, that you would help us be more focused on allowing you to recreate us in your image than on the image that we portray to the world around us that you would help us be more willing to be engaged in the transformation of your spirit within us than to accept the transactional nature of the world around us. Show us how to live out our faith in ways that as we, we learn it and seek it in the hidden and secret places, that it would flow out of us naturally into the space where others can see and glorify you. Give us courage to practice hidden faith as we follow where you lead us. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.